Children's Church. Everybody else, don't go anywhere. Just stay right there. I'd like to stop one more time and pray, ask for God's clear involvement as we jump into his word. Would you bow with me, please, in prayer? Father, we would come to you with open hearts and ask very specifically that the Spirit of God would do a work within the children of God as we open your very word. May something very special take place as that's how you've intended it to be. We praise you for the privilege of joining together for worship, the privilege of having a Bible. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts at this time. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. There are some organizations that have figured out very, very well how to keep themselves going and even how to improve. One organization that I have made an observation about um, in the past couple years is our local high school and their band. We have some that are represented here today that play in that band. Some of you have marched in that band before. One um, um, aspect that they do, uh, something they started some time back, was they allow some of the younger band students to come in as junior hires and come and march along with some of the older kids. And that's really neat because these young ones look up to these older ones. It's a great advertisement for bringing them right into the marching band when they get into high school. My daughter had this opportunity um, about, a, well, about a year and a half ago now, I believe it was. And I can remember the night when it was, and it was kind of a drizzly night of a football game, and she was matched up with a group there with the same instruments, and they were going to go, and they were going to march and play. And I can remember that night and deciding what I was going to do because she wasn't going to stay for the whole game. She was going to play at halftime, and I wanted to see a little bit of her play, but some of you have gotten to know me pretty well, and you understand that I'm a little bit cheap sometimes. And so I did not want to go and pay the price of admission to get into the football game. So I found myself kind of peeking out and looking in, and I was trying to spot my girl and her section and what she was doing. And I can remember very specifically just watching and trying to make out where the one that I was interested in would be moving around in there, marching and playing. There are all kinds of correlations that you and I can make to what we're going to talk about in God's Word today. If you have purchased a ticket to get into something, or maybe you've had a wristband that gives you um, entrance, or maybe you have a membership that allows you to go past a certain entryway or beyond a wall because you've taken care of what it means to get that special privilege or that benefit that you have bought. There are many areas in life where people will have full access and there are others who don't have any access. They're just left kind of peeking over the fence. If you're taking notes, right off the bat, I want to give you kind of a summary of our text, and I want to give you an application. So um, and, and it's going to help you in our time today in God's Word to look at these. So let me give it right off the bat to help us with where we're aiming to go. This passage simplified is going to mean this. At one time, Paul writes, you Gentiles were alienated from God 
and from his people, Israel. And then also, by his death on the cross, Jesus Christ reconciled Jews and Gentiles both to each other and to God, creating a single new entity. That is really a summary of these verses that we're going to look at today. And if I can just uh, whet your appetite a little bit for the application. I want for us to understand that God's plan for the church is not, listen, God's plan for the church is not going to work unless individuals inside that church set aside what they want, set self aside, and not only stop there, but show incredible love to their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the aim of where I'd like to see us land today. All that to bring us to our text, I'm gonna have you turn to two places. Some of you have already turned to Ephesians chapter two. Um, So turn to Ephesians chapter two, but then turn to Luke 22. Hold your place in Luke 22. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So turn to Luke 22, hold your place there with your bulletin or a marker in your Bible. Luke 22, and then go ahead and turn over to Ephesians chapter two and we will get right into this text. We are following up on one of the greatest portions of Scripture, um, in my opinion, where last week we talked about not one person, not one man, not one woman, no matter how great someone thinks they are, no one can boast. The work of salvation is a work completely of God. He is completely responsible for our salvation. And so last week we talked about the idea that we need to squash any ideas that we did that on our own. You did not do that. It was a work of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We must believe, but we need to be very careful to not try to step in and take any credit for our salvation. So that's a little bit of background where there's no boasting that is allowed when it comes to our salvation And the Apostle Paul, as he continues in chapter 2 here, he um, keys in a little bit more specifically. First of all, in the first couple verses, we're going to look at what we once were, what you and I once were. Would you read with me starting in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2? Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision what is called by the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul is writing this here, and I think Paul had the vantage point as he pens this, that there was some friction that was taking place in the church in Ephesus. Specifically, there was some friction between Jew and Gentile, the Jew and Gentile Christians that were there. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is beautifully strategic in what he writes here. He gives a couple different lessons. First of all, he shows the hopeless condition of the Gentiles. And we just read that very, very clearly. Their condition was, honestly, it had no hope at all in it. But then secondly, he shoots straight about the contrast between Gentiles and the Jews, Let me say this when we look at the position they were in. 
God's plan of salvation in the Old Testament, it did come through the Jewish nation. Now, that does not mean that all Jews were truly redeemed. The word circumcision is mentioned in both verses here. Circumcision was a deep source of pride for the Jews. When I was looking over this and I thought of a previous uh, Bible story where the word uncircumcision is used and it's used almost as one of the most harshest, harsh uh, put-downs that the person could think of. It is a derogatory term. Uh, maybe you can think, you'll remember this very, very popular story. It's probably in the top 10 most popular stories in the Bible. Back in 1 Samuel 17 when we find David and Goliath and before this battle, maybe you remember David is there and he comes along and meets up with his brothers to check in on them and he hears this giant putting down the armies of Israel and putting down the God of Israel. And maybe you can hear it as you've gone over it maybe many times in your own Bible reading where in verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17, David says this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? to defy the armies of the living God. And some might say, is that the best you can do, David, really? I mean, is that the worst thing you can say? For the Jew, that was an incredibly strong put down. This one who is uncircumcised to talk in this way. Let me go ahead and give us some more instruction as far as how the Jews in Paul's day or in Jesus' day more specifically felt about The Gentiles, I've put on the screen here, and I'll read it for us, some commentary by William Barclay. And this is very helpful to know know where the Jews and Gentiles were coming from at looking at each other and what Paul's trying to address here. Here's what it says. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was actually carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. This is going to help you with these verses here to know why Paul is giving so much time at breaking down the division between Jew and Gentile. This, is, this was their story. Most of them had this built into them their entire lives. And so the Gentiles, we see here, had no Christ, they had no covenant, and they had no hope. The Gentiles were hopeless because, and don't miss this, even though God, and this is a beautiful aspect of our God, even though God had planned from before the foundations of the world to have a promise and a covenant and salvation for the Jews. God had planned a promise for them. Listen, I mean for the Gentiles, the Gentiles at this point did not know it. They were not privy to this. God had revealed to the Jews very much his plan and the Gentiles were included but God had not yet revealed that to them and so therefore they had no hope at all. But of course, God in his mercy does not leave them in this condition. That takes us to our second point, verses 13 through 18, what Christ has done. I'm gonna read through um, all of those verses, starting in verse 13 of Ephesians 2. 
But now, now that should make you think of what we talked about last week in verse four, but God, being rich in mercy, verse four says, verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And verse 18 says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All right, the dominant idea in all these verses is that God in Jesus Christ broke down the barrier between Gentile and between Jew. And I I want to take us, if you can remember, many of you were here for our study in the book of Acts. And as as we walk through that narrative, Paul really shines in the book of Acts with his evangelism work, the church planting, the missionary work. But there was a point, it's actually a division point, about two-thirds through the ministry of Paul, where he goes from being a free man He suffered persecution, but he always got out of it and God delivered him to go and to be free. But at one point, he went from being a free man to being one that was in bonds or in chains. And I want to remind us of that because it's helpful in the book of Ephesians here. There was a character that was with the Apostle Paul when he made his way back to Jerusalem. This fellow's name was Trophimus. Trophimus was one that got saved in Ephesus. Paul takes him back when he goes to Jerusalem. And as they are there, the Apostle Paul got accused of doing something that he did not do. And this is very important to our text. The Apostle Paul, with this Gentile along with him from Ephesus, someone claimed that Paul took that Gentile beyond the wall of the Gentiles, the barrier that only Jews were allowed to go in. And that is the main accusation of the Apostle Paul, that he took this Gentile past the dividing wall. We're going to talk about the law just for a moment, and I'm going to give you a whole lot, and hopefully um, it will be a help for you, because sometimes when we approach the law, we wonder, well, what's the point? What good is it? And we even get confused by how some people approach the law or have approached it in the past. Verse 15 said, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And this is key that you understand this. It is God that took the initiative to save mankind. It is God that intervened and it is God that broke down this barrier. So let me ask the question this morning. What do you have to do to have access to God? What, what law do we have to obey? What hoop do we have to jump through in order to have access to God? And the answer is, if you are in Christ, 
There's nothing you have to do. There's absolutely nothing that you have to do to keep, to um, make this list part of your life, to have access to Christ. And this dividing wall, everybody knew what this was. The law was given by God, but don't miss this. The law was never meant to be something that would take the place of God. And you might think that sounds obvious, that it wasn't supposed to take the place of God, but that is exactly what had happened with God's people, the Jews. Salvation, even before Christ came, was by grace alone, through faith alone, It was even in Christ alone, even though that idea of Christ was a little bit fuzzy before he actually came. But that was his plan. And so what happened? God's people, man, in their rebellion, they placed the law, which is a shadow, in place of the lawgiver. So when God's people were in slavery, in Egypt, and they were let go, I mean, just miraculously, and we love talking about those plagues that came and how God rescued Israel and the Hebrews, and as they went out into the world, they had no understanding of how to conduct themselves. God gives them something that they needed. He gives them a law. It was a gift that he gives, but the law actually becomes, don't miss this, the law becomes the object of their affection rather than the giver of the law. And so the Jews placed their affections in the law instead of the giver of the gift. Now the intent of the law was, don't miss this, always to lead man to God. That was always the intent of the law. And what they learned very quickly was that the law is a wonderful servant But the law was a horrible master. In Ephesians chapter 2, as Paul writes this, he says, God abolish that. No longer is the Jew separated from the Gentile. Instead, we are one. And it's not that the Gentiles became Jews or the Jews became Gentiles. It's something new. They are one in Christ Verse 13 says, it says, we could be brought near to God. And I couldn't couldn't resist this when I saw that because my mind has this picture of people in the Old Testament. And we receive this idea of being brought near to God very easily. That's comforting to us. But can I challenge you with this idea? Those in the Old Testament, if they were to be given this Option, hey guys, let's get together this coming Friday night and let's get near to God. What might be their response? I would suggest it might be something like, ah, no. Anyone who sees God dies. That's how they had experienced God. And so not only is it something very sweet and special for the Gentiles, but it's something very sweet and special for the Jews because now they're going to be able to, those who were once far off, verse 13 says, have been brought near. And that's both Jew and Gentile in a way. And you and I are part of this new covenant with Christ because we are invited to draw near. And what part of the Trinity makes this possible? I mentioned it there, didn't it? 
We can have access to the Father by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then very quickly, our last point, God's new society, what we have become. Look in verse 19 with me. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, so the Apostle Paul here switches metaphors. He moves on to the metaphor of a building. And he's not talking about the temple that they had experienced. And he's not talking about this building that we sit in of those of us that are here in this worship service. He's talking about the building of the people of the church. And he switches the metaphor and he talks about Jews and Gentiles both as stones in this building. Some of you might remember when we talked about the church and that illustration of the dry stone wall with no mortar and rocks of all different shapes and sizes, and being pushed together to make something that was very, very firm. And that's the picture that we get here. What does that mean for you? The dividing wall is gone. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But let me go ahead and bring it to us today. What this means is, is that you, if you are a believer, and you're, let's say, a senior citizen, that meets in the corner booth every Saturday for coffee with a group of friends. You, senior citizen, have more in common with the teenager who is in Christ that seems to have his face glued to his screen 24 hours a day, whether you know it or not. And you, teenager, who is in Christ, have more in common with that one in the corner booth each Saturday with his friends that he talks with than you do with another teenager because you're in Christ. In Christ, you have something beautiful and wonderful in common. I'll tell you one of the most practical ways this applies for me is when I get opportunity to travel anywhere and to go to a worship service. I remember going to a pastor's conference some time back and not seeing anybody that I knew And it just hit me at one point with this sea of believers that were walking by and I didn't know one of them. And I thought, this is what God is doing all across this country and all across the world. He is bringing people to himself, people in Christ. And I don't know them at all, but I have so much more in common with them, even though someone who's about my age has kids that are going through my school, doing the hobbies that I enjoy doing. I have more in common with them Because I'm in Christ and they're in Christ. And we must remind ourselves of this. There's a temptation sometimes to want to be with those that are not in Christ more than those that are in Christ. And the new building that is referenced here, believers being joined together, different sizes. All right, let me go ahead and give us some things that we can do. Excuse me. There is a clear application here um, about racism 
and about prejudice. And if you need that application and lesson in the day that we live in, go back, read through this, and study it. There is no place for prejudice and racism in the house of God. And the way that can help us with this is to remember your former separation. That's why the Bible always points us back to before we were saved. Remember your former separation from God and that the only reason, and I want you to take this personally, okay? The only reason that you can call God your God is because he reached down and rescued you. And when you remind yourself of that, it will help you to reject the temptation to judge another as if in some way I'm greater than they are. And then for the second application, um, I'm gonna, I ask you to hold your place in Luke chapter two, 22. Go ahead and turn over there. And this will be the second thing that you can do. While you're turning there, let me go ahead and give you the, um, the little bit of a summary of this text here. At one time, you, the Gentiles, were alienated from God and from Israel, and by his death on the cross, Christ has reconciled Jew and Gentiles both to each other and to God, creating a single new entity. <clears throat> now, some of you have figured out that one of the Apostle Paul's favorite subjects is the church. And even though the word is not used in Ephesians chapter 2 in the end, that's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the church that has been created. He's pointing to the church. And actually in Ephesians 2, he talked about, did you catch it? He talked about those apostles. And this is the foundation that the church would be built on. He mentions Christ, which is the most important thing. But I want us to look at that group of the apostles for our second what can you do application today. In Ephesians 2.20, it said the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And in Ephesians 2.20, the apostle Paul is at this point in time, he's looking back to the apostles and how they were critical to the church beginning. Now, for reference, in your Luke 22, Jesus Christ is looking ahead to the church. Pentecost had not yet taken place. <coughs> Excuse me. Pentecost had not yet taken place. And so they are looking ahead to the church. And I'm going to set this up for you here because for some of us, Luke 22 is one of the easiest passages in the New Testament for us to get critical of who we are reading about. It's going to sound very, very familiar if you've been around church for very long because it's the Last Supper. And we reference these verses when we take communion here at Calvary. But when I say it's easy to be judgmental, I want you to notice the, the uh, message that Jesus Christ gives and then immediately the conversation that the apostles have. These apostles who would be the foundation of the church. Uh, verses starting in verse 28 of Luke 22, and then I'll back up a little bit. Verse 28 says, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the connection to Ephesians chapter 2. But what I want you to do is go back and look at the message that Jesus Christ gives 
Let me tell you where I'm going with this. Look at me just for a minute. Jesus Christ has to teach them something before the church can begin. They're going to be foundational to the start of the church, and the church is going to fail if they do not catch this lesson. And so before he goes to the cross, he teaches them a critical lesson. Let's back up and look at what Jesus talks about in verse 15 of Luke 22. And he said to them, this is going to sound familiar, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I, what, suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If I can just stop right here and ask you to go to a point where you're taking communion, and you've paused and you've thought about the broken body of Christ. That's a special worship time for you. And maybe you've looked into that cup and you've seen that red and you've thought about his blood and that's a special worship time for you and this is the meal where christ introduces that to them verse 20 says and likewise the cup and likewise the cup after they had eaten this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood but behold the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table let's stop right there And understand the tone that has been set. Understand this familiar passage. And if Jesus Christ's death is special to you, this is something you've gone over before. And he's going to teach them something because immediately the conversation turns a very specific direction. Look in verse number 24 with me. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them that are called benefactors. But not so with you. Here's the lesson. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one Who serves? For who is the greater one, the one that reclines at table or one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves. This incredible lesson that they are going to need if the church is going to be powerful and move on, if it's going to have the power that it needed The lesson they had to learn was they were going to need to put themselves aside and not just that, but to intentionally lift up other people. Let me ask you this question today. What is the best way that you can show genuine Christian love? It is to set aside something of yourself and lift someone else up despite the differences. Anybody can do it for somebody they like. If you're my BFF, I don't mind sacrificing a little bit for you. But what if, you know, you're not my cup of tea at all? That's the test. 
Am I willing to work at lifting you up in some way? And the idea is that there are no intentions that we're going to get something in return. Understand that. Because it's so different. Everything in this world, in our world, is pointing us to do something so we'll get something in back. So we'll get something back. Reminds me of those movie lines where someone's, someone powerful is going to do somebody a favor. Well, what's it going to cost me? Well, someday I'm going to come to you. I don't know when. And I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to ask you for a favor in return, and you've got to do it. That's not the idea here. The idea here is that it is doing something, and you get nothing in return. Because, listen, who is that? a picture of whose kindness and whose love is that a picture of Jesus Jesus Christ that's what he did he did not do something because he wanted you to do something in return that's not what it was he did it because he loves you he did it for his own glory and then just one very quick application in this area of serving others don't just think that it's just the one that gets served that's getting the blessing Many of you know this as a truth that when you put yourself out there and you sacrifice and you put down yourself and lift someone else up, not only are they being blessed, but how much better is it for you to give than to receive? And you've learned that, haven't you? Some of you have done that and you don't want anybody to find out about it and God does something so sweet and so special with that. And that is what was, that is, that's what's needed in the church And here's what it means. It means you set aside yourself. Paul here addressing the Gentiles and the Jews, and he says, God broke down this barrier between you. And that's a tough application for us to apply right to our lives today, but I think very much so. He points us right to the church. And it means if we're going to see good things happening in our church, it means we set ourselves aside and work hard to lift someone else up. And we don't keep score. That is what God had in mind with this mystery of the church that we are blessed to be a part of. Let me close with one last illustration. During World War II in France, there were some soldiers that found themselves in a battle and they lost one of their buddies in that fight. And after the fight was over, and they were marching through France. They had the body of their buddy. And they wanted to give him a proper burial. They wanted to put him in a respectful place. And they weren't sure what to do. And so the soldiers happened across a little church. And the church had a little cemetery there attached to it. And so these American soldiers went. And they found the man that was tending to the church and the cemetery. And they said, we're so sorry. Could we bury our friend, our comrade, could we bury him here in this place where at least it will be kept in a respectful way? And the response came from the priest that was attending the little church. He said, well, was your friend Catholic like that? And they said, no, no, he wasn't. And he said, I'm sorry, this is just a cemetery for the Catholic to be buried at. And they hung their heads and made their way past they needed to do something and night was coming and so they decided the next best thing they could do was to go ahead and bury him near the cemetery so they went over near the fence to the cemetery and they dug there a hole and they buried their friend and then they had to camp out that night 
not too far away. And the next morning, when they got up, they wanted to go and just pay one last respect to their friend. And so they went back to the place, but they could not find where they buried their friend. And they searched. And they thought maybe they were confused. It was late in the day. But they looked and looked and could not find what they had just done the night before. And so they went back to the attender of that church and cemetery, and they said, we're so sorry. We buried our friend here somewhere, and we, we can't find out where it's at. Can you help us? And at that point, the priest said this. He said, when you left me last night, I spent the first half of the night regretting what I had said to you that you could not bury your friend in the cemetery. And I spent the second half of the night moving the fence so that he could be included in the cemetery. Aren't you glad that God moved the fence? A beautiful plan from the beginning that included you. And we are grafted in in what he has given us today. And that's the church. Let's pray. Loving, all-knowing, all-powerful Father, forgive us for doubting your ways. Forgive us, Father, for thinking sometimes that perhaps you've made a mistake or that something's going on that is going to be contrary to what you want. I thank you that even though the Gentiles were so blind to this for so many years, you've given this clear plan of yours in your word. I thank you for the plan of salvation that includes Jews and Gentiles. And I thank you for what you've made us to be. Would you allow us, God, to move forward with the desire? Heavenly Father, help us to have the desire to show kindness and generosity to others that are in our fellowship in a way possibly where they could never pay it back in some way where maybe even nobody even knows about it except for you because that's a reflection of what your son did for us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron to play through a stanza on the piano. I wanna give you a chance to respond to what we've talked about today. It might be in the area of prejudice. could be in the area of pride. It could be that you have never called upon the name of the Lord to be your savior. You can ask him to save you even this day. Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you turn to him, he will forgive you. Take just a moment to pray to your God, whatever he's laid on your heart.